Welcome to Ruffer Radio, a series of podcasts in which we'll be exploring the investment universe and trying to make sense of what's going on. Reducing our carbon emissions, transitioning to net zero, is crucial to the future health of our planet. Reducing carbon is one thing, but what about actually removing it? I'm joined today by Tim Kruger, a leading authority on removing carbon dioxide from the atmosphere. Tim is the guest author in this year's Ruffer Review, our annual compendium of thoughts and ideas spanning markets, economics and geopolitics, through to financial history, storytelling and even farming. You can download the Ruffer Review on our website or request to receive a copy of the review through the link in the show notes. Tim shares his time between the University of Oxford and a clean tech startup called Origin. Tim runs a program at the Oxford Martin School which assesses the range of proposed techniques for removing greenhouse gases from the atmosphere to determine which, if any of them, could be deployed at meaningful scale without creating countervailing side effects. Origin is developing a technology based on the lime cycle to remove carbon dioxide from the air. Tim, that all sounds very exciting. Uh, thanks very much for joining us today. Thank you. Uh, you're welcome. Tim, I guess the first place to start is uh, essentially for you to describe what your work is, both at Oxford and at Origin. Thank you very much, Rory. So at Oxford University, I run a programme looking at all the different ways in which we can remove carbon dioxide from the air. And that's something we're going to need to do. Uh, it's obvious uh, if we're going to get to net zero that we need to reduce emissions, but reducing emissions on its own isn't going to be enough. We're also going to need to remove carbon dioxide from the air at massive scales, hundreds of billions, if not trillions of tonnes by the end of this century. And uh, what I do at Oxford, I run a programme which is multidisciplinary, looking across the whole range of different disciplines involved from everything from earth sciences and geography and uh, engineering through to philosophy and anthropology and law to assess which of these techniques could work, uh, not just from a technical point of view, but also from a governance point of view as well. Any technique needs to be socially acceptable as well as being technically feasible. So that's my work at Oxford. And then I also am the founder and chief scientist of Origin, uh, a company which, as you described, is using the lime cycle to remove CO2 from the atmosphere. So we're exploring ways in which we can use this basic industrial material, lime, to take carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere at scale. Tim, I'm interested then in the timeframes and the, and the timescale sort of associated with this. We've been talking about reducing carbon for certainly uh, as long as I've been alive um, and perhaps maybe as long as you've been alive too. But where, where are we today? We had COP26 a, a few months ago and there were sort of various positive noises coming out of that, also a few maybe disheartening ones. Is this the time for carbon removal? I think it, the time has come uh, to really look at carbon removal in uh, much more clearly than we have previously. I've been working in this space since about 2006. I recognised then that there was a need to not just cut emissions, but get to zero emissions. And what I realised is that at that time, there really wasn't enough out there to achieve that. And so I've been, been working since then to uh, look at all the different ways and try and focus on what I believe is the best way uh, to achieve large-scale removal of CO2 from the atmosphere. So if you 
go back to 2008, the UK had its Climate Change Act, which committed uh, us in the UK to reduce our emissions by 80% by 2050 from 1990 base. Um, and at that time, the target was two degrees centigrade. Now, with the Paris Agreement and uh, the 1.5 degree report, there's a recognition that two degrees is too much. We need to get to 1.5. And 80% reduction isn't enough. We need to get to 100%. And this has been a, a, a dawning realisation over the last few years. It's only about two and a half years ago that the UK became the first major economy to commit to net zero. And now, uh, at the end of uh, COP26, over 90% of the world's GDP, by purchasing power parity, 90% of the world's GDP is committed to a net zero goal. Tim, is carbon removal, I mean, it's clearly being led, not least by you in the United Kingdom, but is this a concept or an idea, a movement that has traction in other parts of the world as well? I think the UK is one of the leading places that is working on this. I think uh, the other one would be the United States of America, where they actually have legislation in place that actually incentivizes the removal and storage of CO2. So that isn't the case in the UK. The UK is good on science and good on making good sounds uh, about uh, what we should be doing. But we, we don't have anywhere to store the CO2. You know, we have underneath the North Sea, but there's no pipeline to get there. And there are no regulations in place that would incentivize it. Tim, the, the other question that I think I kind of have as a, as a headline is how feasible this really is. How far down the road are we? Are we sort of within the next couple of years going to be able to introduce at scale the technology required to meaningfully extract carbon from the atmosphere? Someone said the best time to act on climate change was 10 years ago. Uh, and that's always the case. And really, we could have got a lot further. I think what we and a few other companies have demonstrated is that it is possible to take carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere. And what we need are incentives to do so, and basically a price for, for actually doing so. And then everything should flow from that. But at the moment, the situation in the UK is you get punished for emitting uh, CO2 into the atmosphere. You have to pay for carbon credits, but you don't get any uh, reward for removing CO2 from the atmosphere. And that, that frankly, is bonkers. And so we, we need to change that. But once that's in place, then things can scale up quite quickly. There is a market failure. And currently, I think the UK government sees that market failure as a failure of innovation. It isn't. It's a, a failure of regulation, uh, of putting in the infrastructure, both the physical and regulatory infrastructure, that is in place in the States and we're seeing a big uptick of interest there and deployment. This can be deployed at scale and really it's a, a matter of building up the plants and scaling them and demonstrating that you can do it. But you do need the, the framework in place to allow that to happen. So Tim, I'm interested in carbon pricing. There's a lot of speculation in certain corners of financial markets uh, relating to, to the right price for carbon. Do, do you have an idea of what that might be? And if we can get to a place where we can effectively price carbon, is there the the financial market plumbing, the, the real economy plumbing to, to, to make it work and make it transferable cross borders and, and that sort of thing? 
Um, I believe there is. So um, at the moment, you, you look at systems that we have in the EU and the UK of an emission trading scheme. And that basically is an artificial number of credits that are available. And then the price is set by matching supply and demand for those credits. And that gives a volatile price, but it also gives a price uh, that does not reflect either the amount of damage done by those emissions, nor does it reflect uh, the cost of cleaning up the mess. And I think that it may be possible to plumb that emission trading scheme to um, enable and incentivize removals. But I think actually, once removals are demonstrated, I think it will change the rules of the game. And I'll explain why I think that is. Um, the uh, US uh, Department of Energy uh, in November, they launched what they call an earth shot. So it's a kind of parallel to a moonshot. And that is an ambition to achieve removal of carbon dioxide from the atmosphere for $100 a tonne within a decade. And a lot of people will look at that and say that simply isn't achievable. I disagree. I think it's very much achievable. And I believe that our technology and other technologies will be able to achieve that. And once you are able to demonstrate that you can safely and robustly, so permanently and scalably remove CO2 from the atmosphere, it will actually become an obligation to do so. So I believe that, say that price settles at $100 a tonne, that is the cost of carbon. If you want to emit carbon dioxide, fine, but you have to pay someone else to clean it up and it's going to cost you $100. If you're not willing to pay or not able to pay, bad luck, you go out of business. And I think that that may sound harsh, but that's only because we're referencing a frame where we have considered the carbon price to be this thing that comes from an emission trading scheme, which is basically uh, completely detached from the reality of the harm that is done by carbon and the cost of cleaning up the mess. Once you have a technique to clean up the mess, you have an obligation to use it. And it's fascinating because it really introduces or brings to the fore the, the moral question uh, involved in, in all of this and where that moral obligation lies. Tim, there's a great quote from you um, in this year's Rougher Review, which says, you know, curing climate change is not beyond the wit of man, but it may be beyond our will. Do you still believe that? Do you, do you fundamentally believe that we are lacking the will or the necessary people, the people who are making the decisions, lack the will to make the changes that we need to make? Um, I, I've got a, a slight analogy here, which is, you know, can we cure climate change? And, and one of the questions I, I've, I've put this up in, a, in a, a talk I've given before, which is, you know, can we cure climate change? And then I, I change the screen and then uh, on, the, on the screen it says, will you sleep with me for a million dollars? Uh, and that usually gets a, a fairly interesting reaction. And then I, I follow up by saying, you know, for the avoidance of all doubt, this is a rhetorical question and I don't have a million dollars. But uh, this was what uh, George Bernard Shaw allegedly said to a dinner companion. And um, the response that he got uh, to that indecent question was, yes. His follow up question was, uh, would you sleep with me for ten dollars? And the response to that was a slap in the face and uh, uh, saying, you know, what kind of person do you think I am? And he responded, well, we've already established that. We're now just haggling over the price. So I think it's the same thing uh, with a price for carbon. If you said to um, 
uh, policymakers, we can remove carbon dioxide from the atmosphere for ten dollars a ton. They go, yeah, great, let's go for it. I really love that idea. That's a, you know, we, you know, yeah, as much as you can. And then you say, oh, actually, it's a thousand dollars a ton. Uh, I think there'd be a lot of teeth sucking and kind of, oh no, sorry, that that doesn't sound right. But the point is, you've conceded the principle. Now you're just haggling over the price. And the question of where that price ends up is is really an interesting one. I think around $100 a ton is realistic um, in the long term, at scale up, etc. Uh, so I, I think that that can be done. And that would be probably a 1-2% of GDP, depends how, how well we do with cutting emissions. And that's a big chunk of money. You know, it's about what we spend on defence. Um, and it's, uh, you know, we already spend about 1% of GDP on getting clean water. Uh, you know, we, we pay our water bills. And we don't think of that as a, a water tax. We recognise we're causing harm and we need to tidy it up if we want to live in a decent environment. And the same thing needs to apply for uh, taking CO2 out of the air. We are polluting by adding CO2 into the air. We have the ability to remove it and we should pay for it. We sometimes think of carbon pricing as carbon taxes. It's not. It's actually a reduction in a subsidy. Um, at the moment, we are subsidising polluters. We are saying they don't have to pay for the externalities that they impose on society. And any kind of carbon price is really a, just a reduction in that subsidy. We need to live in a world without subsidy. And that means cleaning up our mess. It, it's, it's a lesson we should have learned in the kindergarten. Uh, but if you make a mess, you should clean it up. So Tim, 1% to 2% of GDP, that, that sounds like quite a lot. Who are the winners and losers going to be in this, in this transition? So I think that the losers are going to be quite clearly be the organisations that emit a lot of CO2. So if you think of uh, companies that uh, burn coal, uh, their emissions are very high for the amount of turnover they get. And if they had to pay $100 a tonne for... Uh, removing CO2, they would either have to raise their prices, in which case it become uncompetitive, or they go bust. So I think that uh, you need to look at them as like the first tier of, of uh, potential victims of this shift in responsibility, frankly. Um, but then you also need to look at those people who are investing in those companies. So you might not think that the carbon footprint of a bank may be particularly high, um, but actually if their investments are in things that are vulnerable to actually paying the true price of uh, emissions caused by the industries they invest in, that uh, would be bad news. But it may not be all bad news for those countries and organisations that have fossil energy. So any process that removes carbon dioxide from the atmosphere will require energy. That's, that's a thermodynamic fact. And those are the kinds of facts you don't really want to argue with. So you do need energy to take CO2 out of the atmosphere. And um, the process that we have at Origin actually is, is run on natural gas. We, we use natural gas to drive a process for taking CO2 out of the atmosphere. And we capture all the CO2 from the use of that natural gas, and we capture even more carbon dioxide from the air. And what that does is it has the potential of allowing uh, fossil energy-rich uh, countries and companies to use that energy to actually become climate champions. So at the moment, if you imposed a $100 a tonne tax or charge on emitting CO2, that would add about $5 per MMBTU, which is the, the unit used for natural gas, $5 per MMBTU would be added 
to the, the current price. If you use that same unit of natural gas, you could remove three times as much and you actually would get paid $15 per MMBTU. So in the future, countries in, say, the Middle East or in uh, North America or Australia, places like that, where they have a lot of uh, fossil energy, but it's often quite remote from where you want to get it to market, they could actually use that natural gas to remove carbon dioxide from the atmosphere. So it is entirely feasible that countries in the Middle East could become net removers of carbon dioxide and they could actually become net beneficiaries of becoming climate champions. They could make more money out of using their natural gas to cure climate change than they do currently causing it. And that's fascinating, Tim, and, and the role more generally of uh, energy companies in the transition is, is we're learning a lot more about and is is an interesting one for investors to think on. Tim, thanks so much for joining us today. You're most welcome. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you, Rory. Pleasure. And thank you for listening in at home. You can subscribe to Rougher Radio on the App Store, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Past performance is not a guide to future performance. The views expressed in this podcast are the views of our guest and where applicable Rougher LLP. They do not constitute as investment research or advice and may be subject to change. Ruffer LLP is authorised and regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority in the UK and is registered with the Securities and Exchange Commission in the United States. Thank you.